0: I'm LZ Granderson, and this is Life Out Loud. From the very first episode of this podcast with Stephen Canals, co-creator of the Emmy award-winning show, Pose. So Miss Stephanie, never knew love like this before. Where did that come from? Why that song? That was a Ryan Murphy suggestion. To the very last episode of season two, which was just released a couple of months ago with Grammy winner, Tracy Young.
1: You know, I would take people on that journey. I'd give them the ups, the downs, the hills, the valleys. When you play for 12 hours, you have gotta tell a story.
0: The one thing that should be clear to all of y'all who listen to Life Out Loud is that we love us some music. In fact, my producer, Trevor Hastings and I, we were both in bands. So the episodes with musicians tend to hold a special place in our hearts. And not just the divas, though we do love our divas. Our conversation with Rufus Wainwright remains one of my favorite if for no other reason than to hear his Judy Garland stories. And she was a total rebel, a total rock and roll, loved dirty jokes and was not at all, was no shrinking violet. You know, when I think about all of the quote unquote normal things I missed during the COVID shutdown, not going to concerts might be number one for me. Live music not only connects an artist to her fans, but it connects the artist's fans with each other. For two to three hours, all of our differences just sort of melt away. And that the only thing that matters is the love we all have for the music that we hear. It lifts, it inspires, it can provide us with a glimpse of what we could be. It can be a reminder of what we once were. To this day, when I hear the first four lines of Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls, I'm transported back to Sons and Daughters, this cute little queer coffee shop in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and the day I met the man who would eventually become my very first boyfriend as an openly gay man. Then he cheated on me. Next thing I know, shares believe was in heavy rotation, and well, like I said, music has the power to bring us all together. Life Out Loud turns one year old this month and we are all so grateful for each and every one of you who have been there for us. When I originally pitched this idea to ABC back in 2020, I was just hoping for a season. Now we're planning the launch of season three. Not only that, we've made several best of lists and even won a GLAAD award in our first year of existence. It's been such a wonderful experience and we look forward to the next chapter, especially me. I know I've grown a lot as a gay man from these conversations and I'm curious to see where season three leads me. Speaking of looking forward to things, on this special episode of Life Out Loud, we wanted to highlight a couple of queer projects we all are looking forward to. We already know about the tragedies, such as the mass shootings in Texas and in Buffalo. We know about the legislative challenges and the growing concern that the Supreme Court may overturn marriage equality. It's a lot. Like a lot. But discrimination can't be the only thing worth talking about and we are more than a collective pain. In pride month, pride month is the time of year to recharge our batteries and remember to love. Love one another and love yourself. We gotta remember to love ourselves. So with that, the rom-com movie Fire Island starring Joe Kim Booster and Bowen Yang has plenty of humor and heart and hot guys. Shout out to you, Conrad Ricamora.
1: I have a lot of friends, actually. I'm a very
0: fun-loving person. Really? Yep. But what I love most about the film is the intelligent way in which it explores intersectionality without being preachy.
2: Listen, I know you all think I'm some old ridiculous burnout, but I had a whole life before I met you. And it used to look a lot like yours. I had lovers and friends summers in cherry grove with lesbians my own age and i thought i had it all figured out
1: babe i know all
0: your stories
2: yes the fun ones i tried to fix everyone but what i was doing is over time slowly pushing everyone i cared about out of my life until my only friends were a group of boys half my age who only put up with me because i have a house on fire island
0: that's not true we love you that's sweet we speak with the film's director andrew ahn about creating queer content being Asian in the LGBTQ plus community, and his thoughts on being pigeonholed. And then we speak with my friend, Robbie Rogers, who made the successful transition from history-making soccer star to TV and film producer. He stops by to talk about his period drama, My Policeman, starring the old so talented Harry Styles, as a closeted police officer caught in a love triangle. Do with that information what you will. Anyway, the film comes out in August, but the trailer isn't set to be released for a few more weeks, which is why we can't play a clip for you now. But, Robbie does talk a lot about what it's like working with Mr. Styles, so that's definitely worth sticking around for. Trust. But first, my conversation with Fire Island director, Andrew Ahn. Hi Andrew. Hi, how's it going? I'm great, how are you? i'm good good i'm so excited to speak with you thank you so much for making time um first of all congratulations on making just such a beautiful film with heart thank you i've had a chance to watch it i cried and (laughs) (laughs) it's just a beautiful film uh outside of just the sort of the historic nature of this film and so I, i think my first question for you would be You know, what's the trick to balancing somewhat unexplored social justice conversations with humor, right? The explored ones have a chance to have humor, right? Because we've been talking about it, but the unexplored, Mm -hmm. what's the trick?
1: Yeah, you know, I was really inspired by Joel Kim Booster's screenplay because I felt like it was such a great Trojan horse for you know, really uh, difficult, important subjects within the queer community wrapped up in the package of a a rom-com, you know. Uh, I loved how it explored, you know, racism and classism, you know, even kind of desirability and, and body politics. I think Joel and I both really wanted to explore those themes through story and character. We never wanted it to be pedantic, you know? So we really tied it to these characters in a way that allowed these themes to be really organic. Private Instagram, it's like, what's he hiding?
2: We know his name is Charlie, and he's got a dog emoji and a plant emoji and a stethoscope emoji. What a riddle.
1: Okay, we're gonna have to solve that later. It. What are you no, doing? No, no, no. But yeah, you know, I, I wanted to um, lean into those themes and also lean into the humor and not be afraid of either of them. And I think it's that fearlessness that allowed the film to feel like a, a really great balance of these two elements.
0: It, it was absolutely fearless. I I love the way that you casually talked about prep. I love the way, <laughs> way that, you know, because, you know, so often, especially in television, you know, it's a, it's a whole episode. you know and they make this big production out of it and it's sort of like this has kind of been around for a while you know let's let's stop making it like this you know mystical pill that we we know nothing of you know i I, know i I love that part
1: thank you yeah i love that like we don't like explain what it is because you know it's like we really wanted this to be for you know, the queer community, and it didn't feel right to explain that joke. But, you know, it's like, if someone doesn't know what it is, it's easy enough to, you know, to look it up. Like, I I think you can't make something for everyone. You know, you can only make something that is inspired by, you know, your personal experiences and hope that people find elements of it that resonate with them.
0: One of the other aspects of the film that I love that I really related to, because it felt like for Black people, one of the things that offend a lot of us is when random white strangers try to touch our hair. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like a total invasion of space, right? But it happens all the time. And one of the things that sort of I correlated that, too, was in your film when people, particularly this one character that was like a rice queen, was trying to, like, say, hey, are you this? Hey, are you that? And it was like almost like he was on a game show.
1: Hey, howdy. Oh, God. Hi. Couldn't help notice you looking at me earlier. <laughs> no, I wasn't looking I'm at Moses. you. I'm Moses. Are you Korean? You look Korean. I have a sense. Let me get your drink. Oh, no, 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 um, my boyfriend here, he's gonna, he's gonna grab it for us. I'm sorry, I'm not sure I understand what's going on. Honey, are you Filipino? You look Filipino. I'm gonna go. oh.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Do you find similarities in that? Or do you think it's like a totally different strand of where that sort of uh, entry into a person's space comes from?
1: I think uh, that moment in the film that you describe, it's something that's happened to me. You know, it's something that's happened to Joel. You know, I think it's really interesting whenever I've seen that scene with an audience the queer Asian Americans will laugh really hard. (laughs) Um, I, I think that there's something about how we've been perceived that I feel like the Asian American community, the queer Asian American community like hasn't been a part of. And so it feels really great in this film to to be an author, you know, to to control the narrative and to let us describe who we are instead of letting others. And so I, I'm really thankful that I was hired to direct this film, that I got to collaborate with Joel Kimbooster and you know many other queer Asian Americans so that we could tell something that really felt like it was for us by us.
0: How have you grown or changed since Spa Night to Fire Island as a director? I've become
1: more curious about um... seem pretty
0: curious in Spawn night. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's a good um, you know, I, I, I'll say like, I think with Spawn night, I was still figuring out like my voice as a filmmaker. And, and I definitely knew what I wanted to say then, but I didn't necessarily know how I wanted to, navigate the rest of my career with something like fire island which is so different from my previous works i feel like i'm understanding at least my path in the near future which is that i want to explore different genres i I want to try different things as a director i don't want to be afraid of something that i haven't done before you know and so in the way that fire island is my first rom-com you know i hope to you know, maybe do an action film or do, you know, a horror movie. Um, I I think I'll always go back to, you know, really intimate dramas. That's what I really love as a filmmaker. But I think I want to have fun with my career. I want to try different things. I think that's the only way to stay fresh in this art form and, you know, keep learning.
0: One of the things I also loved about the film, Uh, in addition to the relationships. And I had an opportunity to have Margaret Cho on as a guest in season two of the podcast, and she talked about the the family aspect of it. But there's also natural beauty that you captured uh, in the film. Um, You know, those of us who have been to Fire Island, we all know that it's a picturesque place, and you captured it beautifully. How many of the moments in the film were purposely designed just to show off how gorgeous the island is? I... Uh,
1: made it a priority to just show um, the the beauty of the natural landscape there. You know, I think that's part of its allure. I think that's part of what makes that experience so special is that you're out in nature. You've got the wind and the waves and, you know, the deer. I uh, remember... (laughs) Telling my cinematographer, I know, I told my cinematographer, I was like, I need the deer. I really want the deer. I know that they're like covered in ticks, but it's okay. Um, But I, I was really committed to, you know, showing as many different parts of the island as I could. And so, you know, we had a really great camera team that was going around, you know, capturing really interesting sights and moments on the island I'm really thankful for my cinematographer, Felipe Vardere for really, um, you know, just capturing the island in all its glory.
0: I thought you did a fantastic job. Rest of the summer, what are you working on and what are you looking forward to?
1: Yeah, um, I'm really excited for... This cast, Joel Kim Booster, has a really exciting month ahead of him. You know, this movie, he has his Netflix special. He has his um, Apple TV show, Loot with Maya Rudolph. I am super excited for Matt Rogers, who has a show, I Love That For You, on Showtime. I'm just so excited for this next generation of queer talent, you know, and so I, that's, that's what I'll be watching. Um, you know, in terms of what I'll be making, I'm, you know, working on some screenplays, Asian American queer stories. Definitely. It's always going to be a part of who I am as a filmmaker, Do you feel uh, obligated, uh, you know, this is, it's so interesting that you asked that. Um, I know a lot of people think that, you know, it's like, oh, like, am I, am I afraid of getting pigeonholed, you know, as just like doing queer Asian American things? And my answer to that is I say, like, I love my whole, you know, like it is, uh, it's made me who I am as a filmmaker. You know, I don't feel the need to have to stray from that in order to grow in my career. Instead, can I like grow with the stories. And so the fact that I got to direct Fire Island, it feels like a a great sign that uh, queer Asian American stories can be financed at the, you know, highest levels. I'm going to keep pushing on that. Nothing I can say specifically yet, but hopefully some exciting things coming um, very shortly.
0: You know, I'm so glad that you talked about you know, feeling pigeonholed and "quote unquote," what does that really mean? Especially as a creative, right? Because I find that people who use that word or that term are actually outside looking in. Yeah, <laughs> that those of us that are on the inside, we don't feel trapped because we understand there's a wealth of stories here, and yeah. that we can tell these stories for forever and a day, and it reminded me of a moment that uh Toni Morrison had during an interview that has gone viral of uh, the great author was talking about being seen as mainstream mm. and she challenged the notion of what it meant to be mainstream because so often it comes from a white perspective right like once mm. white people like it then you're mainstream mm. no matter how many millions of people of color might be supporting something it isn't mainstream until yeah. it's perceived to be you know something that white people are into and yeah. so I'm really glad that you talked about that as a director. My question is, you still need white people to come to your stuff. <laughs> 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 like, if you really want to, like, you know, break it big in terms of, you know, tens of millions of dollars gross, you still need white eyeballs. So how do you balance that?
1: Yeah. You know, I, I think it's really important for me as a filmmaker to not define success in terms of box office or how many eyeballs are seeing it, you know, because I think that that feels it's really capitalistic, right? Like, and I ultimately care most about, you know, like like who are the people watching? Who are the people that are finding this? And um, and is it meaningful to them? You know, you know, I think it's it's. Part of the way that we have to reimagine like what success means to us so that we can reach a more equitable like media representation. I'm going to do my best as a filmmaker to not worry about whiteness because I think as soon as I do, I've fallen into a system that is going to disadvantage me.
0: Makes a lot of sense. Let's talk about something messy, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> A memory from Fire Island that you can share on ABC. <laughs> <laughs> no, of
1: course. I love that uh, we got to spend, you know, two weeks on the island together. The cast and I stayed in a house together, which was so special, you know? And it really felt like... Like
0: who? Like, because it's, it's a fairly large cast, so who are we? Who, Who are we talking?
1: Yeah, we had um, Joel, Bowen, Margaret, Conrad, James, Torian, Tomas, you know. Sounds like the real gay world. It was a full house, yeah. (laughs) Um, I loved, you know, seeing Tomas trying on some of Margaret's clothes, you know, and Margaret gifted Tomas, you know, some of her like special items. You know, I was going to bed one night and my room shared an air vent with Joel's room. And I heard him watching Real Housewives of Beverly Hills with (laughs) some of the other castmates, and I could hear them giggle and, you know, having fun. You know, I think there's something about how we created a chosen family from this cast that mirrors the chosen family in the movie. And even if the movie was terrible, the fact that we had that time on the island, the fact that we Forged uh, life lasting friendships, like that to me made the process of working on this film so worth it.
0: Well, again, it's a tremendous success. I hope, you know, people see it again and again and again and again. I definitely will. Andron, thank you so much for joining us here on Life Out Loud.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: I first heard the name Robbie Rogers when he came out in 2013, becoming the first openly gay man to compete in a big North American sports league.
2: I think I knew I was gay when I was about 14. He knew he had to hide those feelings if he ever wanted to pursue his dream.
1: And by the time Rogers made it to the big leagues, he was living in constant fear.
2: Just having the feeling that I hope no one figures out I'm gay.
0: Since then, a lot has changed. He's won a soccer championship with the LA Galaxy, became a father, and after retiring from soccer, became a film and television producer working alongside his husband, Greg Balenti. In addition to producing his forthcoming film, My Policeman, Robbie is also a producer for CW's All-American.
1: Here I was thinking the university was being inclusive, only to find out, you made it all happen. So I wouldn't have to encounter
0: ignorance from doormates in the communal bathroom.
1: I just wanted you to feel safe and comfortable.
0: Robbie even had a role himself in Love Simon, which his husband Greg directed. He and I had chatted in a while, so of course I had to ask him how was the family? Robbie, before we get into producing queer content for networks and, you know, streaming services and et cetera, you and I need to do a catch up because the last time that we saw each other, you weren't even a parent yet. (laughs) True. So what's going on with the babies, right? Caleb and (laughs) and Mia? Yes. Caleb,
2: our son is um, six and our daughter Mia is going to be three this year. Uh, They're in school, they are like siblings in such a stereotypical way, they like love and hate each other, (laughs) Um, which has actually been, you know, as they get older, they become sweeter and sweeter and more supportive of each other, which has been really nice to watch. And actually, an interesting thing that's happened over the pandemic, because they've had to spend so much time with each other, because we took them out of school at the height of the pandemic for about a year, um, was they really, just because they spent so much time together, they really um, bonded, they get to play a lot together. Uh, she parrots a lot of pretty much everything he does. (laughs) And I think that, you know, she really, really adores him. And he kind of, at times puts up with her, but, um, they've really, they've really connected, I would say over the last year and a half.
0: That is so lovely. Now, obviously, you know, you are a former professional athlete and, Usually, at some point or another, um, the parent who was a former professional athlete tries to introduce their child to their sport. We see Serena Williams doing it. She posts a lot of <laughs> videos online. Um, obviously, LeBron James in the city. You know, Bronny. You, are you doing that with Caleb and Mia? Are you trying to get them to play soccer?
2: <sighs> no, I mean it's Caleb is playing soccer and Mia does kick the soccer ball around the house. But no, <laughs> I say that and I say no. Um, I am the parent when Caleb soccer games that literally sits in a chair and stays silent. Like I, I think a lot of the parents like, oh, you should you know help coach and you know I just obviously we introduce them to all these things whether it's music and dance and sports and so we do all of that but I, I don't want to put any pressure on them and you know I, I watch soccer on the weekends I'm a huge Arsenal fan and sometimes they'll sit with me and watch the game and Caleb's super competitive with me so whatever team Arsenal is playing against he'll always like start rooting for them it's pretty funny he he knows exactly he'll be like I'm a Liverpool fan I'm like oh really okay so he uh he definitely you know <laughs> He like grabs a knife and twists it. <laughs> there are moments where he's like, I want to be like you, Dada R. He calls me Dada R and Greg Dada G. He's like, I wanna be like you data R. I want to be a professional soccer player. I'm like, Okay. Well then this weekend let's go out in the backyard and let's just start training and working on technique and, and we'll do that. And then literally after twenty minutes, he's usually like, Eh, let's let's go read a book or let's go do an art project. Like he's I think in his mind he's like torn between like wanting to be into sports, but then realizing that he's not that into sports.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So switching gears for a second, you know, your second act, if you will, is just as powerful as your first act. And um, I guess my first question for you as we're talking about queer content for television and streaming services and film is how much of Robbie the athlete is instrumental in Robbie the producer's success?
2: I would say very influential. I think, um, I mean, you know this, but athletes are incredibly driven, stubborn, single-minded, passionate. Uh, There are moments in a season where you are really failing and you have to find a way to win games, to play through injuries, just not to quit on your team, your teammates, yourself. You know and have to find a way to be a success and so i've taken that into producing and writing you know i am optimistic that i'm gonna get a green light or that someone's gonna like a script and and i believe in projects i think my main job you know is is to believe in projects before anyone else does so you know all american i was extremely passionate about it and you know i kind of didn't ever think no was a reality that you know it was going to somehow will this into existence that it should be a show that it was an important show that it was entertaining that it could be a huge success and i was a bit naive but i also really believed all those things and you know i think a lot of athletes we really have a lot of confidence confidence from a young age and believe in ourselves and so a lot of the um, characteristics i had as an athlete and i think a lot of athletes have um i've i've used that in the way I produce. So I think being an athlete really prepared me to be uh, a producer and not writing. You know, I, um, it really helped me. Uh, there are things that have not helped me. I think uh, as athletes were very uh, impatient. You know it's like every day you have training and when you lose a game you you get ready for the next game and you got to win the next game and you know as a producer and as a writer it's like waiting for someone to read a script waiting for someone to green light something waiting for a deal to get done that you're just like trying to crank out like that stuff's all you know uh you know i have a lot of growth in that area to find patience with people but um for the most part like so many things you know and if i were you know hiring at a, at a you know large company i'd, I'd want to find athletes because i just you know i know how it's helped me and and my friends now that are all retiring and moving into like the workforce let's say um are having a lot of success because how it shapes them from a young age to be a, an athlete to be on a team again for all the reasons that i said i think it really helps you uh move into into the, your your second chapter as you call it
0: you know it's interesting that you said that you know if you started a company you would want to find athletes because all american was, you know, brought to you by an athlete, Super Bowl winning champion, Spencer Paysinger, who's, who's a buddy of mine, who's absolutely lovely. He's a wonderful person. Um, is that how you, you know, connected on all Is knowing that there's, you know, this athlete there that you can connect with and bond with?
2: Yeah, so I met Spencer through my friend, Dane Mork, and they came to me kind of with like Spencer's life. And I was, there were definitely elements that I couldn't quite like, you know, totally relate to I'm from Palos Verdes, he's from, you know, Crenshaw. Um, But there were so many aspects of his life that I that I really found very emotional and relatable to, to myself, and that I thought that the country and the world could relate to. Like what, you know, him trying to be both an athlete and a young adult at Beverly Hills High School when he wasn't when he like felt like an outsider, you know, I felt like that all of my career. (laughs) I felt like, okay, I want to be, I have these dreams of an athlete, but I don't quite fit in in the locker room. I don't quite fit in, um, you know, at modern day when I, you know, knew I was uh, a closeted young gay man and I was at a Catholic school where no one around me was gay. None of the athletes were gay. Uh, all my role models, uh, who I wanted to mimic my career after, none of them were out professional athletes. So I, 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 I really related to his story of being an outsider and having these dreams for himself and just the obstacles of them and not totally understanding how he was gonna get there, but that he had the passion and the desire to do it. Like, that's kind of how I was. Yo, Coach, look, I'm just motivating them, all right? These guys don't get it. Shut up
1: and listen for once, for once, okay? They don't hit. I can't evaluate their weaknesses and fine tune them.
0: You wanna know their weaknesses? I spent the last week working with these guys. The weakness is not one of them got the ability to take that game to the next level not one you lost your best players when your starters were suspended and the only person left seemingly worth anything is santiago and his ass is inconsistent in the box because he lets his emotions control the
2: game what are we doing each one of these guys has like an interesting story all of them feel that they don't totally belong maybe some feel they belong more than others but you know, different religions, different racial backgrounds, different uh, economic backgrounds from different countries, like everything. And I realized like each one of these guys were all very different. And all of our differences really make us like a strong team when we're all uh, when we can all, you know, find some way to sync together. And uh, I thought Spencer's story, people would find it relatable around the world and around the United States. And I, I think I'm right. I think it's a very diverse show and i think a very diverse audience watches the show because i mean a lot of people that watch it don't even like football they just really love uh, going through spencer's life and and his relationships and his family the family drama and uh, they want him to succeed just as they want to succeed themselves and i just found myself you know getting sucked in more and more and more to his story and his path and then finding like oh wow i i really understand this emotional journey in a way that like is different for me, but but there are definite similarities.
0: I think it's one of the reasons why um, the X-Men series has mm-hmm. so many queer fans is because we can relate to what it means to be born a certain way different and mm-hmm. feared because of that difference. And, you know, I was gonna ask you, you know, did you feel an obligation To have your first creative project of this nature be centered around a queer character but it seems as if you found a a degree of queerness outside of just sexual orientation and gender identity that you connected with
2: yes i think it is it's like the the feeling of being like other right feeling of being just like an outsider that's where i really really connected on a smaller scale it was like spencer's journey and then On a larger scale, it was like these two worlds clashing. And like, perhaps I think a lot of America now is like so many like pointing fingers of we're different this way, we're this, we vote differently, we look different. And like, but what are our similarities? I think we're always, uh, like I said, trying to find like what makes us different. And I thought there was something beautiful. And yes, exploring those, but also like, what are the great things about us that make us the same and where can we find um, common ground, you know? So, uh, I, yeah, it is an interesting way. It is like, it, it is an outsider story, you know, for me who is, uh, and I'm sure like you, have, we've like, you know, been outsiders on a lot of fields
0: and in a lot of rooms. Speaking of outsiders, 1950s Brighton, a gay policeman named Tom marries a school teacher named Marion while in a relationship with Patrick, how in the heck did you find my policeman and where are you with production?
2: Um, I was actually given I was living in England and I was just coming out to some people. I'd come out to my my family. It was 2012. And um one of my one of my friends who was like kind of helping me, you know, I hadn't come out publicly yet, but he was answering questions for me of you know, these people are reaching out to me, should I say anything? Or, you know, what happens if someone writes something in a paper, he was like a publicist. And he was just, just kind of helping to guide me through um, any kind of questions I had. And he's like, "Oh, this publishing house wants to meet with you. And so they want you to do a book. And I was like, well, I'm not going to do a book. But okay, I'll go meet with them. So I met with them. And they, you know, had their spiel of why I should do a book with them. And again, I had no plan to but they they at the end, were like, Oh, you should read this book. It's really beautiful. It's called my policeman, and you should just take a look. And so I took it. And that weekend, I actually was supposed to go run the Brighton half marathon. <laughs> and I had this book. And so I read my Policeman, <laughs> you know, taking place in Brighton. Um, I think I read it in like two days. And then I was down in Brighton. And it's just like, I just, I fell in love with it. It was just such a beautiful book. And, um, you know, when I brought it back home with me, I started dating Greg and I was reading, I think I was reading again for the third or fourth time. And I kind of told him about this book, how beautiful it was the, the love triangle, the mystery, you know, just the love story. Um, and so he read it and he was like, Oh my God, this is so beautiful. We should listen to a movie. And so we did. And so we, we optioned it. We, we found Ron Warner, you know, Michael Grandage, we cast it with Harry Styles, Emma Corrin. David Dawson, Linus Roach, Rupert Everett, and Gina McKee amongst others. And we shot it, um, gosh, we shot it last, this last summer, summer 2021. And uh, it's coming out, uh, you know, Q4 of this year. And it's really, really beautiful. You know, the whole team, the director the cast has done an incredible job. And it's at Amazon, they've been extremely supportive. And um, it's just a really, really beautiful, Painful story, very cathartic uh, about love and not being able to control love, and we've wrapped. And it will come out this year. I'm really, really excited. It's it's a beautiful, uh, important, powerful film that uh, I can't wait for you to see.
0: What was it like working with Harry Styles, who obviously is a you know is a big star, but also someone who really plays a lot in terms of gender representation and presentation, and being such a tremendous ally. Um, what was it like just going through this process with him?
2: You know, I, before working with Harry, I had heard so many great things about who he is as a person, you know, very authentic and kind and giving and just very talented, but it wasn't really until I started to work with him. When I like work with him on set, I mean, he is just, he is all those things. He's extremely talented. I mean, it's just almost not fair. You know, <laughs> from such a young age to be both like gifted, you know, a true artist, you know, like a real artist that isn't doing it, you know, just to be like this hipster. Like he actually is a real artist that has deep feelings about, you know, his character and the movie and, uh, and in his music, you know, his storytelling. So it was really just, it was, he was so genuine. It was just such a relief to be able to work with. Uh, an actor who's both talented and kind and respectful and, and respectful to everyone on set, you know, his fellow castmates, the director to, you know, the PAs, like just to everybody, it was it was um, very refreshing. So he really did such a great job in this film and he's just very authentic, you know, I know people are always trying to like solve who Harry is and I, I think he's exactly who he tells you and shows you who he is. Like I don't, he doesn't, he's not doing anything You know for a brand or a play with people like i mean in my experience you know i'm just uh, speak from my experience he really is just a very authentic pure person which uh it was such a relief you know there's so many guys that you work with i mean even in sports that like you know show one face and say one thing but are another person in the locker room or actors who pretend to be someone and then they are not you know he really is exactly who he is who he presents the world which um, I found so refreshing and so rare in this world.
0: You have another project that I read about called the Dallas Sting. What is that about?
2: Oh yeah, this is super cool. I'm excited. So we, um, have been developing, uh, this project about the Dallas Sting, which is the first women's world championship team. China invited, it was like four or five women's teams. Um, I think it was in the seventies to China to play in this tournament. And the problem was there was no U.S. women's team. There was there was w- w- U.S. soccer was I think it was just a men's team then and uh, like barely. No, I'm kidding. No, but there was no U.S. team <laughs> for the women. So so what they did was like U.S. soccer went around and tried tried to like invite, you know, the best college teams So the best they tried to like put a team together. But, and everyone said no. Like everyone was like in their college seasons. Also, they were like, "What is this? We're not going to travel to China." Like, and, but so eventually they go to this this girls' like under eighteen or under nineteen club team called the Dallas Sting. You know, in Dallas, Texas, and they were the best uh, under eighteen or under nineteen team in the nation, and they had been the best for a while. And so they. They asked them to go, and um, there was this, this coach named Bill Kinder who was like much more progressive and much more, you know, supportive of these of these young women, and he uh, was able to motivate um, all of them and their families to go to China and to play in this like world championships. And it's about these group of girls who kind of, you know are living in a country that tells them that they're not equal to the men around them, but that they want them to go represent them, which is like, I I find so fascinating. I I mean, I, I found it, I even found it relatable to like, you know, being a gay man and being a gay man in sports where like for a long time, people have said like, well, you guys, you guys can't be in sports. Like you're not supposed to be in sports. Like there are none of you. Let's keep it that way. And I think like women have had a similar journey of like, you know, you're not equal when you are playing sports but like so but but we need you to represent us you know you can imagine the men's world cup team if they won a world cup like what what would be what would be waiting for them at the airport it would be you know cameras and you know media and and who knows what and these women came back and no one even you know raised a an eyebrow so so i just found it a very powerful story and so we're um we're out to directors now and and we're doing this with Skydance and, and the girls that the women that wrote Glow, uh, the TV show, wrote the script. They did an incredible job. Um, so that's a, a really exciting one to hopefully get to make.
0: I listen to you talk about these three different projects that you are attacking from three um, different worldviews. And I can see the through line. But do you think people are able to follow your creative like prism? if you will, like they don't know what they're gonna get from a project you're connected with. Do you, do you like that? Do you seek that?
2: You know, it's very early on in my producing career. I think that the the example that people have, uh, you know, All American is like the first thing that they've watched that I've been a part of. You know, My Policeman will come out this year. The Sting will come out. I also have a project at Showtime called Fellow Travelers, which is a love story between two men that's set in the 50s and the 80s about they meet in the lavender scare and it ends uh as one of them is you know at the at the others um at the aids quilt uh in washington dc um one of them's passed away and i think as more projects that i've been uh, a part of start to come out i think the through line or or the oh this is kind of robbie's brand so far of of the content that he wants to put out into the world, I think it'll become more evident. But uh, I know what I want to make. You know, I know I want to make shows and films and work on projects that makes people really feel things that, you know, help us relate to others in a way that we don't usually, you know, on our daily basis we don't think about. But I know what my brand is. I know how I want people to feel and what I, I want to entertain people, but also hopefully open their eyes a little bit.
0: What is it like working with your husband, Greg, especially considering he was already established, well-established in this industry that you find yourself in now?
2: If I could always work with Greg, I would, <laughs> but sometimes it's not possible. You know, sometimes you're working with a writer that's at a different studio that has a contract somewhere else. And uh, and I, I, I think it's good for me at times not to work with him. It, it helps me find more belief in myself as a producer. It helps me grow and learn from different people. I value the projects that aren't with. Greg and Sarah at Warner Brothers, because again, I learned so much and it helps me really establish who I am as a producer away from them. But I love working with them. I love being in an editing bay with Greg. I love being on set with Sarah. I love doing notes with them. We're always very aligned and, and it's just, it's more fun. You know, you want to work with people you love. I think we all feel that way.
0: Robbie Rogers, champion, producer, dad, hubby. Robbie, thank you so much for your time.
2: Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this, actually.
0: Thanks so much, Robbie, again, for spending time with us, and you too, Andrew. I hope everyone sees Fire Island this week and looks forward to seeing My Policeman in August. I know I do, and not just because hairstyles Styles is in it. Okay, maybe because hairstyles is in it. Anyway, hey, it's Pride Month, and that means it's our time to once again just kind of recharge, celebrate, and lift one another up. Listen, we all know about the challenges that are out there. The legislative challenges, threats to marriage equality. There's so much on cable news and newspapers and social media that can bring us down and to make us sad and that's to worry about and I get all of that. But I also understand that life isn't just about our trauma and life isn't just about the obstacles. Life is for living and for loving and for celebrating and especially during pride. Pride is a time of year in which we're supposed to recharge our batteries and be a source of hope for young people who aren't quite sure if there's a world out there for them. You know, pride is a time of year in which we show those young people who are in situations where they don't think that life is worth living that it truly is and that whatever they're going through, it gets better. I still believe that. We gotta still believe that. That was the hope that Harvey talked about. So go out there, party safely <laughs> love greatly and live life out loud life out loud with LZ Granderson the production of ABC Audio produced by my friend Trevor Hastings scene producer is Brenda Salinas Baker the executive producer of Life Out Loud is Liz Alessi I'm Elsie Granderson this, this is good good